You are holy, holy, holy God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We serve a great God. Amen. Amen. Is God's presence not awesome, is it not? Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to start reading in verse 5. You know, when we, when we sing these songs of worship, it is important for us to translate those words that are biblical into our daily lives. It's important that we apply what we're singing about and that we live that way like, yeah, God, you really are awesome. That's how we should live. Like, he is an awesome God. Like, we should be excited about Jesus. I'm just saying, a little bit, right? He's awesome, right? When something's awesome, you have like, you know, you go to a restaurant and you're like, that food was awesome. You want to tell everyone about it. You want them all to go try it. All, you wish people that were allergic to that, that they weren't allergic so they could experience it, all right? I'm just saying. So when you are thinking Jesus is awesome, you would want everyone to to experience him and do everything you can to share him, right? When we talk about God's sovereignty, do I live my life like God is sovereign or am I trying to keep everything and control everything and work everything my way or am I trusting in a sovereign, sovereign God? Live our lives as though he's sovereign and obviously holy when we talk about he's holy. Do you live your life like he's a holy God? Because that's a positive thing, but it's also a scary thing because he is holy he is righteous. He is pure. So I live my life out of that. And as we look at the scriptures this morning, we will also see how we live out these truths and how we live for the glory and the honor of Jesus. And so the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5, when you got it, say so. It says, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Father, thank you for your word that is truth, your word that sets us free. Thank you for your word that illuminates our lives, our path. And Lord God, we just thank you so much for this day that you have given us, God, for your presence, for the ability to be able to worship a sovereign and awesome, a good, holy God. Father, today we thank you for washing us in your blood. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us even as you have moved among us that you would speak to our hearts, that you would reveal yourself unto us and be glorified in the glorious and mighty name of Jesus. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to your church and help us to live out these truths. In Jesus' good name, someone said? Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> if you don't have an outline, raise your hand really quickly. If you don't have an outline, I want to make sure everyone has an outline. You can take notes. Um, very important also, you'll notice in the back of the outline, it speaks about the purpose of these outlines, and it is for Connect. And so if you are not in a Connect group, Connect Life group, those are our small groups that meet weekly, and that way we can experience life together, we can experience fellowship, we can experience challenging um, conversations about the Word of God, we can encourage each other's faith, we can build each other's faith. On Facebook the other day, I don't know if it was a surprise, was that, was that baby shower a surprise to you guys? Did you know about the baby shower, no? She didn't, you knew. All right, but see, that was awesome for me. It was a surprise to me. They didn't tell me about it, so I'm not part of that connect. They didn't invite me, but anyway, um, but it was beautiful to see. I was just blessed, you know. They had, they had a baby shower. It was awesome, and so they were able to experience that. That's something that's a beautiful thing about connecting, so I encourage you to get connected, amen? Um, you know, <laughs> get connected. See Pastor Chad. He's the one who led us in communion this morning. If you don't know him, and um, make sure you see him after the service. If you are not part of a Connect Life group, we want you to get connected for sure. Now, as we always do, or I try to remember, we have a memory verse, and so my question is, by show of hands. How many of you have memorized Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3? Raise those hands. All right. And so we got a few people. There's a little bit less hands. Some of y'all must have forgot it this week, right? I guess. Okay. So here's the thing. Um, we have a special guest that is going to come and do this. And so Caleb, come on up here, buddy. You're going to come. He's going to share this. 
Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to pick Caleb up for this one. All right. I have to pick him up. I'm going to pick you up, man, so they can see you. It's okay. It's okay? First of all, how old are you? Six. Six-year-old, right? And he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna share this, this verse with us. Go ahead, buddy. <laughs> very good, very good. Putting some of y'all to shame up in this place. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Guilt, guilt is the gift that keeps on giving, right? So got a six-year-old up in here leading memory verses. Some of y'all need to tighten up. I'm just saying. So let's say it together. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Again, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And let's do it one more time. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Come on, give yourselves a hand, sounding beautiful this morning. Awesome, awesome. And so we are continuing on in our series, Walk Worthy. The reason why we memorize Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and I challenge you to do so, is because it is an admonition from the Apostle Paul that we take in the truths of the gospel and that we don't just hear the truths of what Jesus has done for us in our lives and what he has done in our hearts and what he has done by making us these new creations, but God calls us to respond to him by, by living lives that demonstrate I really believe these things that I'm declaring I believe. I really believe these things that I've learned. And so I encourage you to really ask the Spirit of God to help you if you have not memorized the verse, to memorize the verse. But please know this. The memorization of the verse is not the end. It's a means to an end. And that end is a renewed, is a renewed mind. That end is a heart that is for Jesus. That end is a life that is lived for the glory and honor of Jesus. And so in, in, in this particular portion of Scripture, in chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, we're going to deal with the next topic. And we're talking about walking worthy in work. Say in work. And so if you look at your outline, the final relationship that is addressed is that of slave and master. And so I don't think that we have any slaves in here in, in, in this context, and we, I, don't, I hope we don't have any masters in here in this context either. But to be clear, I want to say this. The Bible does not condemn nor condone slavery directly. What it does is it gives directions on how slavery should be governed. And so God did not say, well, you know what, I want certain people to be slaves and certain people are going to be masters. That wasn't God's idea. When you look in the Old Old Testament, you'll find that God communicates like in, in Exodus, Leviticus, around there when God is dealing with the law, he talks about people being your servants when someone owed you something and that was a way that you could pay off a debt and those type of things would occur. But God didn't want people to walk and be slaves. That wasn't his idea. But what we see is that he does give some directives. And so what he says, because God knows that this is going to happen, right? He, he, he communicates how these relationships should be governed. And so if someone owes you something, for example, or you loan them something, of course, According to biblical, now I know that our, our culture speaks differently, and you'll hear me when I say this. According to the Bible, when your brother borrows something from you, you're not supposed to do what? You're not supposed to make him pay interest. Hello. Some of y'all wish our credit card companies knew that, right? You went to buy that car, right? You wish that they, they, they embraced that truth. I'm just saying. Life, life would be a little, you know, student loans, you know, things like that. We wish that they, there was no. But the reality is God communicates this, and he's like, look, you know, if someone, if someone owes you $5, they should pay you $5, not 500 Sounds fair, right? I'm just, that, that, that's the original principle. And so, ultimately, God doesn't con condemn this. But he, doesn't, he doesn't condone it either. He gives general principles for it. And so, the reason why this is important for the context of the book of Ephesians is found in your next paragraph here. When the apostle Paul wrote this book, there was a large population of slaves within the church 
and in that society in general. And there were also masters that were within that society. As one writer wrote, he said that in that time, in, 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 that, in that particular area, there were either you were either a slave or you were free. Those were the two classes in the culture. Slave or free, there was that, that was basically it. And so there was a lot of people that were under that type of scenario. And so today, slavery is frowned upon to some degree. And what I mean by that is, when you look at some places, they, um, they, they, they don't pay people what they are worth, and they treat them like slaves. So that's why I say to some degree. Because there are some people that say that they really don't believe in slavery, but they treat their employees like slaves. Y'all have heard about those places. We call them sweatshops. I'm just saying. Right? They overwork people and underpay them. They underappreciate them. They don't, they, don't, they don't care about someone being sick. They don't care about those things. And so what we have to realize is that we don't, we, we don't I know I, I would believe everybody in here would, would agree that we would frown upon that. We don't look upon slavery, slavery as a good thing. But how do we apply these principles? Because I could have easily said, well, there's no more slaves in our day and there's no more masters in our day, so we don't need to worry about that. Here's the thing. While there is not that same type of relationship, there is the employer-employee relationship. Whereas there is the person who goes on ahead and takes the position that while I am at work, my time is yours. While I am under on the clock, my time, my day, my thoughts, my focus should be on doing some service for you. And so that's important for us to apply these principles that we find here throughout the, throughout, throughout the New Testament, actually, that deal with slave and master relationship. We apply those in work relationships. And so that's why I said walking worthy in work is the way that we'll do this. As believers, third paragraph. As believers, we must keep one great fact in mind. Think about this. Jesus came to serve or to be a slave, literally to give his life as a ransom, stripping himself of his rights for our salvation, and he calls us to follow him and his example. So Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. He says, I didn't come to sit on a throne and have my shoes shined and, you know, my sandals, you know, whatever, right? Something like that. His toes, you know. I didn't come to, we'll say it like this because this is, this is more biblical for some of you. I didn't come to have my feet washed. I came to wash feet. So Jesus makes it clear that he came to be the servant of all because he wanted us to experience benefits as a result of his service. And so we have this same mindset. In the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verse 27, Jesus says this. He says, whoever desires to be first among you, in other words, whoever desires a position of prestige, a position of prominence, a position of leadership, he says, whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. The word used there is the word doulos, which is the same word that's used here. And those bond servants, those people, right, we are the ones that are, that, that are servants because of a bond, because of some kind of debt. And so what he's saying is he calls all believers, say all believers. He calls all believers into servanthood Christianity. And here's the big idea that I want you to get out of this passage of Scripture. And it is this. It is the, in this message is that we all serve one master. Whether you are an employee or whether you are an employer, we all serve one master, and we will all give an account to that master. And so the first thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, servants are to serve according to biblical standards. Servants are to serve according to biblical standards. Now, I want to say this. We are all called to be servants. I just, I just said that a moment ago. All of us are called into this servanthood Christianity, this servanthood mindset. And when you think of serving, here's one thing that I want you to do. I want you to erase from your mind that the only place that you serve God is in church. Can, can, we, can we grasp that? Because I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but um, the, um, the other morning, I think it was Friday morning or Thursday morning, I was taking Alexis to school, and as we were taking her to school, I'd, not, I'd never turn on the radio in the mornings, and i turn on the radio, and i definitely never turn to 9.50 a.m., and i turn to 9.50 a.m., and uh, Lecrae was actually on there, and he was preaching to Liberty University, I guess, to their graduating class, and as he was speaking to them, he was talking about this mindset that is there within the church, that there is this, this, this mindset that we have, that there is secular and there is sacred. And that somehow when I go to my job that I have entered into a secular situation, but then when I come to church, I've entered into a sacred situation. And what we have to understand is that we are, who are we? We learned this a long time ago when we first started this. What did Paul call us? He called us saints. You remember that, right? 
Remember what that word, that, that word saints is the word hagios in the Greek, right? It is those who are set apart, right, for his service, for his glory. Now, let me ask you a question. Did God just set us apart for, for church? Did God just set us apart to be holy when we come together and we gather and worship and that's when we become holy? There's a problem because here's the thing. If that is what God meant by saying I set you apart for my holy service just to come to church to worship or to come to this building with the church and worship me, if that is the only place we're called to be holy, then we live a lot of our life unholy. But what God has called us to be is sacred in all things. He's called us to sanctify that which we are able to sanctify. And so we are, in, and so we are called into this mindset to where we understand that we are all called to be servants. And therefore, whatever God has entrusted us with, he says that we are to serve according to biblical standards. So again, remember, we talked about this last week. The first person who is addressed here is not the masters. And as a matter of fact, when you look at it, it would seem a little bit unfair because out of four verses, three of them deal with the servants and only one of them deal with the master. Now, if we had our way, we would, we, we would flip it around. I mean, I, I'll just say this. If I had my way, I'm just, I, if I had my way, because I got a whole bunch of things that my boss could do better. I think I'm a pretty good employee. I don't need to be told much. I already got it down, but him or her, Right? But God says something different here. He's like, look, you may think you got it down, but I'm going to expound on this mindset. And so the first person who is addressed here is the servant, the subordinate person in the relationship, calling them into account for specific biblical standards in their service. And so he goes on and he says this. I'll read it with you. He says, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. And so the first thing that he calls them into what? He calls them into obedience. Say obedience. He calls them to obey those who are over them in the flesh. And what he is pointing out is that there are people that God puts over you or people that are put over you in this earth. If you believe in God's sovereignty, really, then you believe what? You believe that you are not here or anywhere just by chance, right? But the people that are over you are there because, well, God allowed it. Hello. And so if you believe that, then those are the ones that are over you in the flesh, the ones that you look at, the ones that you report to, the ones whom you are accountable to. Understand this. Please get this. Write, write, write this down if you're taking notes. You are not only accountable to God. You are also accountable to those who are over you in the flesh. Some of us live this mindset like, well, I'm just accountable to God. That is not true. You are ultimately and at the end of it all accountable to God, but you are accountable while you are here in this earth to those who are over you in the flesh, whether it's your immediate supervisor, whether it's, you know, people that are over you and the higher-ups in the company, you and I are accountable to those people. We are accountable one to another, but in this context, we are accountable to the ones who are over us in the flesh. And so the condition of the heart is very important. What does he go on to say? He says, with fear, so he says to obey, but he says to do this how? With fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. So the first thing he points out is that we should be what? We should be obedient with fear and trembling. Now think about this. How many of you are obedient in your jobs with fear and trembling? I had a young lady, she was telling me, she was she, she, not, not, she, I don't know, anyway, she's young, we'll just keep it young. Um, you know, she was, she was, it was actually a text message, and she was asking me to pray for her, she said, because whenever her boss is out of the office, the other employees are going crazy. They don't do their job because the, and we'll get to that eye service thing in a moment. But the point of the matter is, they're not doing this job with fear and trembling. They're not doing it that way. So when we look at that word fear and trembling, what does it mean? Well, it means to respect. To do your job with real respect, with real deference, to do your job in that manner, to obey out of that way. He also says this other thing. He doesn't just say with fear and trembling, but he says what? He says with sincerity of heart. With sincerity of heart. I love this word, sincerity of heart. It means singleness or simplicity. But look at this. It means the virtue of one who is free from pretense and hypocrisy, not self-seeking, openness of the heart manifesting itself by generosity. With sincerity of heart, that you are really there because you really want to, number one, bring glory to God. Number two, you want the best for the company you are part of. Are you hearing me? You really want the best. You understand that your productivity matters. 
You understand that your type of work ethic matters. It doesn't just matter in the heavenly sense between you and God, but it also matters in this natural sense because if you're a horrible employee, you know what that means? Horrible production. If you don't serve with sincerity of heart. I love the word generosity because he's saying, now listen, and, and on a typical level, why would a slave want to be generous? Y'all remember the story when Jesus is talking in the parable. He's telling the disciples about the parable. He said, what happens when the slave, right, he comes, he comes in from outside having worked all day and he's been working. And then the master comes home and he sits down at the table. He's like, what does a slave do? Well, the slave goes ahead and serves the master at the table. He doesn't sit down and say, well, yo, man, we've both been working hard today, so let's see who's going to bring us some food. All right? The point is that the slave has the short end of the stick. I mean, let's just be real about it. You're the one, I mean, y'all, all of us, right, have been there, unless you've just been a CEO all your life. But here's the thing. All of us have been there where you have people that are higher, higher above you telling you stuff, and you're like, man, they don't even know what they're talking about. Let them come down here and do it. Come on, y'all now. Let's be real. Let them come down here. They need to let someone down here run. And they just keep telling you to do this and do that, and they, and they keep pouring on these ideas on you. That they, and, and in your mind, in your heart, you're like, man, they, if they were doing this job, they would never ask that of me. And so where does generosity, where does sincerity of heart come in? No, there's a bunch of pretense. There's a bunch of hypocrisy. I'm just going to do this job, whatever they say. They don't know what they're talking about. But is your heart in the service that you are doing? Because he calls us as servants to make sure that our heart is in it. Oh, he, he, goes on to, um, he goes on to continue to say this, to, to, to amplify the point. And so he goes on in verse 6. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. See, if you, if, if you highlight and you take notes, you should highlight that part right there. Will of God. Why is that important? Because often we are, we are faced with this question, how do I know what God's will is? Well, you should pay attention when the Bible says, will of God. Why do I say that? Because there are, there are not very many, but there are a few places where the Bible says, this is the will of God. And here's the thing, how do you determine the will of God outside of the things that are written in the scripture? Well, let me tell you one of the, one of the most important keys is for you to be faithful with what you know the scripture says. See, if you're faithful, see, if you're, fa- you, you know, you, you're, you're in an employment, uh, an employment situation and you don't like the job. And most of us don't go into an employment situation not liking the job. Amen? Most of us, we go into an employment situation, yo, I got the job. Right? Excited, right? <laughs> Amen. Right? You, you, you were praying about that. You were like, okay, I got this job. The door opened. And you were excited and you stay excited for a, a minute. And how long that minute is, it can be a month, it could be a year, until someone rubs you the wrong way, until you start to be like, yo, man, I feel like a slave up in here, right? There, there can be a bunch of different things, but the point of the matter is, is that you have this situation where you were excited, right? You were like, man, this, this is a great job. And then things begin to get difficult, and things begin to change. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the will of God is to have fear and trembling. The will of God is to serve with sincerity of heart, even in that job you hate. Even in that job under that boss you cannot stand. Amen. A little quiet up in here. The will of God. Well, well you know, Lord, it, it must be time for me to move. The will of God. The will of God. I don't know. It's getting kind of tough. I don't know if I... The will, the will, God made his will known for us. You see, the thing in the, in the Roman Empire, you, it wasn't that slavery was forever, right? When you, when you, when you study the history, you could, you could buy yourself out of being a slave. There were ways for you to not be a slave any longer. It's the same thing with you and I in a job scenario. We don't have to stay there. We can go ahead and put our resume out there, you know, go on monster here and there and everywhere. We'll find some recruiters that we know. We can, there's a lot of things that we can do. But the will of God... While you are there, waiting for that door to open, while you are there, you are supposed to do this with fear and trembling, sincerity of heart. And he goes on to say what? He continues to define what a heart is, what the heart condition is. Not with eye service. Say, not with eye service. As men pleasers. Say, as men pleasers. Two things that he brings out that are really, really important for us. The condition of the heart is revealed by the quality of our service. So here's the thing. He's, are we serving for eye service? Let me, let me help you ask the question a little bit better. Do you work as hard when no one is around? 
when no one's watching, when no one is there over your shoulder, are you working as hard? You know, in most employment scenarios, your cell phone is not supposed to be part of your text messaging. Now, if you're a supervisor, now let me ask you this. Let's get real deep for a moment. If your boss was standing over you at all times throughout your whole day, how many times would you send a text message? How many updates would you do on Facebook? How many things would you like on Facebook? Scrolling through, like, like, that's great. Let me look at that video. Oh, that was hilarious, LOL. <laughs> Bishop, that was deep. You know that every day. <laughs> How many of you would be like, I mean, seriously, the point is, are you doing for eye service? Because I'll tell you what, when bosses come, I'll tell you, listen, companies in general, they, they, they're not tight like that. I, when, when, one of my first jobs, one of the first jobs I had, I worked at Burger King. And, you know, Burger King is not, the, you know, the place of, of cleanliness. I'm just saying, I mean, just don't be fooled. Um, you know, no, 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 no place is, um, you know, as far as like fast food stuff like that. I mean, you know, they, they have certain standards. But I will tell you what, when, when someone was coming in to do inspection, guess what? All of a sudden, they were cleaning those floors like they never cleaned them before. Everything was different. They were having you work overtime to make things look right. You know what? If they were making you make things look right all the time, guess what you wouldn't have to do when the time came to get inspected? You wouldn't have to work overtime. If you were paying attention to stuff, if you were doing the things that, but the question is, do we do things for eye service? Because we want people to see us. Listen, this applies in church. This applies in work. This applies in marriage. This applies parent, children. This applies all over the place. Do we do stuff for eye service? The second thing he says, not as men pleasers. Are you doing things to please men? Now, let me, now let, me let me say this real quick. This means, what this means here, it, it means to try to gain from man. So I do things to please you because you got the power to promote. I do things to please you because you have the power to give me increase. So am I a men pleaser? But see, then it begs the question, and this is the other one, because does that mean we don't serve in a manner pleasing to the ones we are serving? Does it mean that, you know, because, you know, some people, and, and, and especially, you know, us that wasn't saved all our life, right? We, get, we, we, we hear certain things, and, and I'll, I'll use the terms, like, you know, that, that person is a suck-up. I won't use any other ones, but you know what I'm talking about, right? But here's my question. Could a Christian that is trying to live for the glory and honor of Jesus look like a suck-up? Could they? I hope you should. I hope you do. I hope people confuse you with that, and then you have an opportunity to share the gospel with them and be like, man, I ain't doing it for them. I'm doing it for the glory of Jesus. I'm going above and beyond because it ain't about the paycheck or the increase or the promotion. It is about the glory that I bring to him. And I'm glad you asked me why I'm doing that. I'm glad you asked me why I'm living this way. And so what I'm saying is you should learn the standards and go above and beyond the standard. Why? Because your standard is who? You are awesome. You are sovereign. You are holy, holy, holy. He's above the standard. And whose standard do you live by? You live by your job standard or you live by God's standard? We must serve with a bond servant of Christ mentality, fulfilling the will of God as we talked about, whether we are positioned in this life, wherever we're positioned in this life. To the degree that we understand the gospel will be to the degree that we will serve Jesus in our work. See, when we don't understand the gospel, understand this, when we talk about being gospel-centered, what I really believe is that I need to live my life out of the understanding of my redemption. I need to live my life. I need to work hard because I am consist consistently being reminded of the fact that I was born into sin. I was separated from God because of my sin. I was on my way to hell for eternity because of my sin. I was under the judgment of God because I had broken God's laws consistently and continually, and I wanted to live my own way. And then I realized that nothing of my own doing, nothing that was good in me, there was nothing that was attracting. God to me, but God decided to come in the form of a man, and he decided to take my beating. He decided to take the wrath of God upon himself so that way he could intercept my, what, suffering forever, and he could offer me new life. 
He could offer me this new life, this new relationship. That's what it means to be a person that is gospel-centered. See, but here's the thing. When I go to work, and I told you all the story about me when I was working at the last job before I had here. I was working, and I used to, to deliver washers and dryers. And what would happen is, just to give you a quick rundown, when you deliver washers and dryers that people are going to rent, typically what would happen is you're not always delivering a brand-new washer and dryer to the person you're delivering the washer to. Sometimes you are picking up a washer and dryer from someone's home, and then you're taking it to another home. Now, let me ask you a question. If I went and picked up your washer and dryer right now, would it look brand new? Some of y'all are like, it would look rough, right? Because most people, they're not like me. Like when I, when I, do, di- when I do dishes, when I, I don't do dishes often, but when I wash the clothes, like when I pour the detergent in there, I make sure I rinse as I'm doing stuff. I try to keep my washer looking right. I'm just saying that. That's just, I, I'm, I'm just like that. Other people, not so much. I'm telling you this from experience because I'd pick up wash and I'm like, what were they washing in here? What, what were they doing? I, I don't understand that they, I, don't, I, I didn't even understand what was going on. Like, really? I, crazy stuff. The point is, when I take that washer, if I'm going to be a faithful, like my company, right, that I'm working for, that company has a name. And, a rep, and, 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 and they have a reputation. And so when I am bringing this washer that is filthy from one house to the next, I have two options here. I can hope that no one's home and deliver that filthy washer and dryer and get away and let them deal with it. Or I can say, you know what? I'm going to treat this like if I was the CEO of this company and I'm going to clean this washer and dryer and make this thing look as new as I can because I'm not a miracle worker. That's only Jesus. And the point is, what I would do is, I, and this is no lie, for the, for, for the first, like, probably 12, 12, 15, 16 months or whatever that I worked there, that was my mindset. I, would, I wasn't the fastest, fastest delivery guy because I would try to take the time to clean up these washing dryers. And then the day came when I had my, 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 um, my review. And when I had this review, I was like, yo, they got to hook me up, man. Because I know the kind of work I'm putting in. I had, and this is, this is no lie. This is the honest to God's truth. I used to deliver all the way in Melbourne, and there was one property that was out there. The managers literally called our boss to tell him, hey, man, I don't know who your new delivery guy is over here. When I took over that route, he said, but this guy does a phenomenal job, man. He's doing really good. So I'm letting you know your bishop is not just bragging on himself. I'm telling you this is what other people, let, a, let another man praise you. I'm going to let that happen, all right? I'm not just talking like I'm all that. I'm telling you what was happening. But I'm going to let you know my sin, though, too, and, and this is what happened. After I went into that interview, they gave me, like, some ridiculously low raise. I was like, what on earth? I said, this ain't my company no more. See, what I did was I went from doing something, and it wasn't ever an eye service because I didn't have a manager with me. I went from doing something all for the glory of God, all for the glory and honor of Jesus, to doing something from a mindset that, you know what, man, I'm not going to try to kill myself. I forgot who I was doing this for. And it's important for us not to forget who we're doing this for, that we live our life out of what? That place of redemption. So how would redemption fit into that? When I think about what Jesus did for me, I realize that I am a representative of him at all times. I represent him at all times. And you know what I can do when someone offends me, when someone bothers me? You know what I'm able to do? Because I understand redemption, when they don't treat me like I should be treated, I'm able to just forgive and move on and continue to give glory and honor to Jesus. When I don't live out of redemption, you know what I do? I keep accounts. When I don't live out of redemption, I keep on remembering, oh, they didn't give me that raise. Uh-huh, I'm not going to do that extra call. They didn't give me that raise. I'm not going to spend that extra time. I can't do overtime. I start to have that mindset because of what? Because I'm not living out of that place of redemption. Because somehow I start to feel like I'm entitled to something. I'm just saying. Second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, servants are to serve out of biblical motivation. Servants are to serve out of biblical motivation. We already talked about that problem that many Christians have between understanding what is sacred and what is secular. And what I want you to do is erase that mindset. You are sacred. You are holy. You sanctify the places where you go. And if you can't make the place holy, you probably shouldn't be there. Are you hearing me? I'll tell you, I'll tell you another story really quickly. My, my, one, my, one of my professors in school and this is, this, this is something that he said, so I'm just going to say what he said. I always had the question about musicians, and I, and I would say that my position has probably changed a little bit, um, but I always had the question about, you know, musicians who were Christian, but they were in a secular environment, to use that terminology, where they were playing stuff, music that just didn't glorify and honor God. 
And he was, he was my teacher in seminary, and so he told me, he said, you know, man, he said, I, when I first got saved, I used to work in a bar. And he said, and I was there, I used to, you know, do music, I used to sing, that was what I did. And he said, and what happened was, after I got saved, you know, I would still sit at the bar after my sets, but I wasn't drinking, you know, what they were drinking. I changed that. He said, but something happened inside of me. He said, my spiritual growth was being stunted by me remaining in that environment. He said, I had to find a way to get out of that thing. And so my point is, can a person who is a Christian be a musician and, you know, not play for Jesus all the time in those environments? And what I will say is this, it will be very hard. You need to guard your heart consistently. You have to be a person that is really accountable because if you're not really accountable, then you know what's going to happen? You are going to be influenced by ungodliness. Now, there are some amazing people, and the reason why my, why my, my, my position has changed is because I have heard some amazing testimonies of some powerful people that they play. They don't play in, in areas where Jesus is being played and Jesus' music is being played, but these people are impacting other people's lives, but it's not easy. So you need to make sure that you are sanctifying yourself. Now, listen, there will be some gigs that you just couldn't play. There would be some things you just can't do because how do you say, God, I'm going to be in this environment and I'm going to bring you glory? I don't know how you're going to do that. It's going to be tough to do. And so it's important that we realize this, that God calls us to be sacred and to separate ourselves and to sanctify the places where we go. And so understanding um, that our work is a part of God's will that we just talked about for our lives, if we believe that God is sovereign, then we are to do it with a couple of things. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, with goodwill, say goodwill. With goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. And verse 8 says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And so we are supposed to live out of biblical motivation. So my first motivation is what? It is goodwill in my service. Again, if I'm at work, I want to do what? Not just bring glory and honor to God. That's the primary thing. But secondarily, I want to make my business, the the business I'm part of, I want to make the company successful, the office that I work in, whatever it is that I do. I want to make that thing successful. I want to shine brightly for Jesus, but I want them to be prosperous because in their prosperity, God is glorified. Amen? And so it's important for us to have this mindset that we do things out of goodwill. Goodwill means kindness. So having the right attitude will produce the right action. If I don't have the right motivation, I don't do things out of a goodwill, then I do things in Spanish they would say, con mala gana. (laughs) Guatemala? No, no. Malagana, right, with, with a bad heart, right? That's what it means. You know, when you, you know how when someone does something for you, you know, you, if someone was serving you something, let's just say they were giving you some dessert, and, you know, they, they got their own dessert, right? And you were like, yo, what's up? And then they went back, and then they got you a plate, and they're like, here you go. That's Malagana, Right? That's with a poor attitude, right? Wrong attitude, wrong motivation. you got to have the right motivation when you do something. Listen, if you don't have the right motivation, the, the, the action is not going to follow no matter what. Listen, you could try to have a smile. You can try to do everything right. But if the heart is in the wrong place, the action is not going to be received correctly. That's just how it is. It's funny how we can read stuff like that. No matter what, no, there was just something wrong. It was just something not right. There's something not correct. It looks okay on the outside. And then he says this. He says, he says the most important thing there, he says this, and he references this five times in these four verses. He says, as to the Lord. He doesn't say as to the Lord five times. But he says, as to Christ, as to the Lord, unto God. And so when you read through that, You have all of these references that my motivation is not the paycheck that I get. It is not the accolades that I get. It's not the promotion that I receive. The reason why I work the way that I do is because it is unto the Lord. We always, listen, we will always feel indebted to Jesus and want to honor him. Understand that. You and I will always feel indebted to Jesus, not so much the people on this earth. You will always feel indebted to Jesus. When you look at him, he's never done you wrong. He's never let you down. He's never hurt you. He's never done any of that kind of stuff. But other people now, hello, they let me down. They discourage me. They frustrate me. They hurt me. All those, they they make promises and don't follow through. All that kind of stuff occurs. And so here's the thing. Thing is, when I do it as unto the Lord, then I'm always wanting to honor and glorify Jesus. Walking worthy is about living our lives in light of eternity and eternal reward. What did he say? 
He said this, he said, and knowing this, what? That he, he says that whether, he said he will receive the same from the Lord, knowing that whatever good anyone does, any good that we do, right? He's talking to Christians here. He's not just talking to anyone. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. Anything good that we do, he said we're going to what? We're going to receive from the Lord. So our reward is where? Friday? Is that our reward? I hope that's not your reward. My goodness, that's a little reward. But I made good money. No, but that's a little reward. In comparison to the reward that Jesus offers us in heaven, the glory that we get to be with him, I mean, that's a small reward in comparison. And so he's, he's given us the mindset to understand that we should have the heart, that the greatest thing that we want to hear is what? Well done, good and faithful Servant. Those are the people that are going to be rewarded in heaven, church. Those who are servants of the Most High God. Third thing, repeat this after me. Say, masters are to govern with biblical perspective. Masters are to govern with biblical perspective. And so, verse 9, he says, And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Now, I I know I've said this before, but there are times that I read the scriptures and things stand out as scary. And for you, that may not seem scary, but for me, it is. When he says there, he says, knowing that your own master also is in heaven. Remember what I said a few weeks back when I talked about submission? I was talking about, I think, I think it was in the, in the message to um, husbands and wives, and I was talking about submission, how the person who is submitting should feel secure and that the person who is being submitted to should have great trembling. You remember that? See, this is the reason why. It is because I know my master is sitting in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. See, what I realize is that as a master, he goes on. And, and when I say a master, me as a master, I'm not my wife's master. Hello. Just saying. I'm not my child's master in that sense, but I am the leader of my wife. I am the leader of my children. I am one of the leaders in this church. And so what happens is I have a lot of responsibility that is given to me. Oh, yeah, there's authority that comes with it, but there's accountability that comes with it. And so the way that I live my life, I don't live my life for my glory. I don't live my life so that way I can just be harsh on people and so that way I can just get my way. No, 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 no. I recognize what the scriptures teach about what? About this leadership thing. And so masters are those who are entrusted with authority. So if you are any of the things that I'm about to say, then you are entrusted with authority and you are in that position of master. If you're a boss, then you're a master. If you're a husband, you're a master. If you're a parent, you're a master. If you're a pastor, you're a a master. If you're an elder, you are a master. If you're a teacher in a school, you are a master. If you're a government official, you are a master. If you're a police officer, you are a master. And whatever your position is, ranking and authority, you are a master. And he gives us some directives. He says that you need to make sure that you understand some stuff. Those are the people that God has called. He's called us to lead them. In a godly way, he's called, us, he's called us to lead them in a way that brings honor and glory to Jesus. And so what does he say? The first thing he tells masters here, he says, he doesn't say much to them. He says this, he says, and masters do the same things to them. What does he mean by that? Well, everything that I just said to you, that we should, that, that fear and trembling, that respect, that's how we should treat those who we are serving or who we're leading. In other words, we should have that mindset with sincerity of heart, with goodwill, As unto the Lord, he's saying, you do the same thing to them. You treat them the same way that you want them to treat you. That's what he's saying. You see, when we as leaders have that mindset, it seems like life goes so much better. When you decide that you are going to serve, because one of two things happens. Either A, when you decide you're going to be the servant of all, then either people follow more willingly, which makes life a lot easier, or B, you're able to say, well, hey, man, I serve with all of my heart. If they don't want to follow, that's on them. So either way, I wash my hands of that. I don't have to force anyone to do anything, which brings us to the next thing that he communicates. He says there, he he says to them, he says, and masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening. So that is his imperative to them, to give up threatening. So what is he talking about threatening? He's saying that leaders are not to threaten 
those who are under them and, and, and they're into obedience. So what does it mean when he's threatening these? These people are being threatened. Literally, in those days, they're being threatened with their lives because they were slaves. So I'm going to threaten you with your life. Well, how, do you, how are you threatened today? Well, you get threatened with your job. You'll lose your job if you do this. Ministry, you know, you lose your position. You lose your respect. You know, I, know, I told you all about seats. We don't have named seats up in this place, right? Like, you know, assigned seating. So you lost your seat already, glory to God. Next week, just sit in different seats. Everybody's be all over the place. Just different seats. Be great. Just do it. You just lead the way, Pastor. Sit over there. Ozzy, you all switch next week, all right? But here's the thing. The thing is that with that, he's saying don't threaten. There's a problem. If we're always threatening people, there's an issue. If we're always trying to dominate someone, we're always trying to control someone to get them to do something, either A, they have an issue, or B, you have an issue. But can I tell you something? I will say B, you're the one with the issue because you always feel you need to threaten. If that's the only way you can get people to lead or to follow you, if that's the only way you can motivate people, there is a problem. When we do this as unto the Lord, we're able to lead people the most effective way, the way that God wants us to. A leader's perspective must be that his Lord, master, who is in heaven, is the Lord of both him and his servant, and he will be judged equally with his servant. God is going, isn't going to give a leader a pass for any mistreatment because of his earthly position. Understand this. He said God has no partiality. In God's eyes, Everyone, before God, this, this is the thing. We, we talk, we, in, in, in phase four, we talk about this. We talk about Galatians chapter three, I think it's verse 23, where it talks about that there's no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no man, there's no woman, but we are all one in Christ. We talked about that scripture. That is a scripture that has, that has to do with one thing, and that is our position before Jesus. We are all equal. Socioeconomic stuff doesn't make a difference to Jesus. My gender doesn't make a difference to Jesus. We are all equal before him. Now, that doesn't mean that we change like, you know, now that I, now, now I became a Christian, so I'm no longer a man and you're no longer a woman. That's not what that means. Or that, uh, you know, now that I became a Christian, I'm no longer a slave, I'm no longer a master. If that was the case, why would Paul talk to men and women? Why would Paul talk to, to parents and children? Why would Paul talk to slaves and masters if those things change? Those things didn't change. But what happens is, before God, we are equal. And so the way that we are with one another really matters. The way that we are when we're in leadership and we take our authority, well, that matters because we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of our God. And so for those of us that are in positions of authority, then we need to really check our hearts and we need to make sure that we are leading with integrity, that we are leading with love, that we are leading with honesty, that we are leading with sincerity. And for those of us that are not in the leadership position, whether it is in the home, whether it is in the workplace, wherever it is, then we need to do the same things and apply those same principles. And so my closing questions are these two. First of all, how are you as a servant? We are all called to be servants. Amen? Amen. How are you as a servant? Do you serve not for eye-pleasing? Do you serve not to please men, but to please and glorify God? Do you serve out of sincerity? Do you serve with fear and trembling? Are you a person, when it, when it comes to being, are you that person that serves the way that God wants you to serve? And the second question is, how are you as a leader? For those of us that are called to be leaders, are you leading the way that God calls you to leave? Are you leading with fear and trembling? Are you leading with sincerity? Are you leading with love? Are you leading with goodwill? Are you leading as unto the Lord. See, all of us can grow in these areas of our lives. And so the beauty of this, again, I shared the gospel earlier, but the beauty of this is Jesus died to forgive us for being bad servants. He, he died to forgive us for being bad masters. But here's the thing that needs to happen. Relationships in the natural can only be mended when people recognize where they have failed. And what God wants is he wants there to be reconciliation where there have been bad relationships, where you have been a bad, a horrible servant, where you have been a servant that has been all about eye service or a servant that has been all about doing things your way. When you have been that way, God calls you to repentance. If you've been a leader that's been horrible, that's been a, that, that's been a, dominate, a dominating leader, that has been a leader that has not been loving or gracious, God calls you to repentance. And whether that's in the workplace, whether that's in the home, in the marriage, with the children, wherever it is, God wants to restore and he wants to heal. So I ask you to stand to your feet and let's all pray together, please. As you bow your heads and as I pray, I want you to really consider this and really think for a moment. 
God has called us to be his servants in whatever area of authority he's given us. And we're all supposed to be under authority. And some of us are put in authority over people. But are we doing these things for the glory and honor of Jesus? Who have you hurt in being a poor leader? That's a big question. Husbands, parents, those in authority, bosses, who have you hurt by being a bad leader? Who do you need to confess to? Who do you need to reconcile with? For those of us that have been serving, called in a submissive relationship, who is it that you have hurt that you need to confess your lack of submission, your lack of service to? And as I pray, think about those things. Pray about those things. And then when you leave this place, do something about those things. Father, right now we come to you and we thank you so much for the greatness of your grace. We thank you for the abundance of your mercy. We thank you because you are a good God, you are a merciful God, you are a loving, gracious King. And today, Heavenly Father, we come unto you in the mighty and awesome name of Jesus. And Lord, we just bow ourselves before you, recognizing that we are all called to be servants of yours, God. We're called to serve one another faithfully. And so today, my prayer is that we would allow you, Holy Spirit, to search our hearts. Where have we failed, God? And we thank you because you don't leave us in our failures, but God, you offer us resolution, God. You offer us um, reconciliation. You offer us forgiveness. And so my prayer today is that we would be those who would submit all of our heart, all of our will, all of our desires unto you, and that we, Lord God, would yield to you and ask you for forgiveness where it is necessary and ask forgiveness of others where it is necessary and that we, Father God, would lovingly surrender to your will and allow you to reconcile and heal relationships. God, I pray against those walls that have been up, Lord God. I pray against those barriers that have been built, Lord God. Lord, I pray against those strongholds that are there in minds and hearts of people in this place. Father God, set them free from those things, Lord God, the pride that hinders us from being repentant. Father God, I ask you to glorify your name, and I pray that you would fill us with your grace, God that we may be able to be your servants, whether we are in a subordinate position or in the leadership role, God, but that we would be your servants for your glory and for your honor, God. Heal broken hearts. Fill us with grace. We pray this all in Jesus' great name. Someone said? Come on, give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.